0: As anyone who has ever been on a long and seemingly endless and difficult journey can tell you, it helps to have a place to put your eyes, so a point on the horizon on which you can focus, and it helps to have a song to sing along the way, a song to give you rhythm to your journey. Um, The men, the women, and the children who traveled on the Underground Railroad in the pre-Civil War South could tell you as much. Now a little bit of a history lesson, the way the Underground Railroad worked, it wasn't underground, literally, and it wasn't a railroad. It was a, uh, a network of paths and safe houses that escaped slaves who were fleeing the oppression of Southern slavery could take. They could take these paths and, these, and, and stay at these safe houses to reach the political freedom of the North. Now, it was numerous winding paths, it was rarely on actual roads, and it was sometimes through very, very rough terrain. And the people who traveled on it, they usually traveled by night, and they could usually only go about 10 to 20 miles at a time, at best. Along the way, they would stop at various designated spots, and those might be the barns of sympathetic supporters. Those might be church basements. Those might be hollowed-out river banks. The people traveling on it, often the dangers that would be on the path were sometimes more immediately dangerous than what they had experienced on the plantation. They had the exposure to the elements. Oftentimes they had no shelter whatsoever. They had the fear of traveling in strange places. They were often going down paths and in places they had literally never seen or heard of before. And of course, you had the slave hunters, the deputized people who were allowed to hunt slaves and bring them under captivity to bring them back to their masters. They were hunted people on this path, on this journey. So yes, the Underground Railroad, it led to freedom from slavery, but the way to that freedom was treacherous. The way was filled with all kinds of dangers. Yet, in the accounts of the Underground Railroad, if you read the accounts that people who traveled on it wrote years later, two things stand out, or at least they stood out to me. The first one was the North Star, the prominence of the North Star. When they were in a place they had never been before and they did not know where they were and they lost their direction, they could look up into the night sky and they could find the North Star and get their bearings. So they had their place to put their eyes, the North Star. The second was the songs that they would sing along the way. They would sing songs like Go Down Old Moses with this refrain, Let my people go. And the songs they sang weren't just general songs. They were songs that reminded them why they were doing this. They were songs that beat down into the heart who they were, the value they had despite all the things that they had ever been told about themselves. So they had their North Star, the place to put their eyes, and they had their songs to sing along the way. Now, none of us in here, I dare say, know anything near the depth of oppression and suffering that the people on the Underground Railroad escaping slavery knew. But Scripture says that we as Christians, we who have placed our faith in Christ, we're on a journey as well. We've been called out of darkness into God's marvelous light, and we're on a path that will lead to the fullness of redemption and freedom, a path that will lead to what the Bible calls the new heavens and new earth where all things will be made new. But most importantly, we're on a path that will lead us to Him, the fulfillment of all of our desires. But this path that we're on is filled with dangers. As Amazing Grace says, it's filled with dangers, toils, and snares. And these dangers, they are very real and they are very present. And they lead us to ask questions such as, will will the danger overtake us? Will we fall to temptation? Will we make a shipwreck of our faith? Will Will we be consumed by our doubts? Will we be outsmarted by the evil one? Will the circumstances of life and the challenges of following after Jesus overwhelm us? On our path, on this journey, we also need a place to put our eyes, and we need a song to sing along the way. And I submit to you that in Psalm 121, we find both of those. So let's look at this psalm together. Let's find our North Star. Let's find our song, those things that will carry us to God and all that He has for us. We'll do this by looking at three points. I am a preacher. So the first point is a place to put our eyes. Now it's not printed in your bulletin, but the psalm. If you look in a Bible, it'll tell you what kind of psalm it is. It's a song or a psalm of ascent, ascent, rising up. Now, what is that? That sounds fancy. That sounds really cool. It sounds like if you, it sounds like you know your Bible. Oh, Psalm 121. That's a psalm of ascent. But what is that? Well, psalm of ascent. That those were traveling songs. Those were pilgrim songs. You know, like when you're getting a car and and a good song comes on, you say, this is a driving song because it sounds like the way driving feels. It makes you want to push the gas pedal down. Well, that's what the Psalms of Ascent were. They were traveling songs for people going to Jerusalem. Now, they weren't general traveling songs. They were given for a specific purpose. In the time that these Psalms were written, if you were a faithful Jew living in Israel, you went to Jerusalem three times a year for one of the pilgrimage, pil- pilgrimage festivals. Passover, Feast of Tabernacles, and the Feast of Pentecost. Faithful Jews made this the trip to Jerusalem, to the temple to worship three times a year. And when they got there, they, they participated in all kinds of events, worship services, festivities, parties, Feasts. These were times of celebration. And these were times of remembering all that God had done in their nation on their behalf. And they were, they were times of being swept up into the grand story of God's redemption. Much like we do in worship. When we come in here, our individual stories get tied into the grand story of God's redemption. And that's what these festivals were. The calendar for a faithful Jew was literally marked and decided by the activities of of God. And so these psalms of ascent, there's a number one, number of them in the psalms. These were traveling songs for pilgrims that were going to be heading to Jerusalem for one of these festivals. Now these times, these festivals, these were times of incredible joy. But they also were times of danger because the way to get to Jerusalem was not easy and was not always safe. Now, it might help give us an idea of what's going on in the background of this psalm if we understand some of the geography around Jerusalem. At the time it was written, this was written, it was a city that was detached from any significant trade routes. So it was a little bit off of the normal beaten path. Um, it was surrounded by, on three sides by ravines that were about 200 feet deep. On the west were mountains, on the east was desert, and the terrain all around was rough. So there was only one way to approach the city from the north and you had to go through the hills. You had to go through the mountains. Now from a military perspective, this is all wonderful. It means that Jerusalem is very hard to get to, so it was not an easy city to siege, it was not an easy city to take. But from a pilgrim's perspective, from your ordinary Israelite trying to get to the festival, this this was difficult. This was not good news for the same reason. Jerusalem was hard to get to. Now, our modern ideas of travel means that this might be lost on us. When we read Psalm 121, we might not see the dangers as apparent. Um, I can hop in a car from where I live in Orlando and be at my mom's house in about nine hours. And I pass over swampland. I pass over numerous bridges. It should take me weeks and weeks if I was on a horse and buggy or walking. But I can hop in a car and Straight up I-95. But the difficulties of this type of travel, it's readily apparent in the psalm. Let's look again. Verse 1, the psalmist is looking to the hills. But this is not necessarily a hopeful thing. In fact, him looking to the hills is what leads him to ask the question in verse 2, crying out, where does my help come from? I see these hills. I lift my eyes to see them. Where does my help come from? How in the world will I get through these hills to my destination? And the dangers are detailed. Look at verse 3. Will my foot slip on the unsure trails that I'm going to be walking down? Verse 4. Will God slumber or sleep? Will I be all alone out there? Verse 6. Will I face the dangers of daytime or nighttime? The elements. Verse 7. Will I be overtaken by evil on the way? Bandits. People waiting for travelers to come by to attack them. The question at the beginning of this psalm reveals somebody whose eyes has landed on the hills. It's landed on the foreground, on that which seems closest and most real, most present. And that's why he cries out, where does my help come from? Now thankfully, we quickly get an answer again in verse 2 to this question. Where will my help come from? From the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. This psalm from the very beginning is reorienting the pilgrim's way of seeing the road ahead. The pilgrim need not fear the hills appearing on the horizon. Why? Because God is the maker of those hills. He is the maker of heaven and earth. There's no danger that awaits that is outside of His purview. For us, this is our North Star. The Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. The place to put our eyes, or better yet, the person to whom we can look. God does not just give us a place to look, a point on the horizon. He gives us Himself. And this is incredibly, incredibly good news. The powerful God, the creator of heaven and earth, is not only powerful, but he's good. And we'll see that in our second point, a song worth singing. Um, One of my best friends is a music producer. It's what he does for a living. So he sits at a desk all day in front of a computer, and he has singers and bands across the way, and he helps them refine their junky songs into something you can listen to. And he does everything from bluegrass to kind of doom, heavy metal, Kind of unlistenable stuff. (laughs) Uh, But he does everything. But no matter what kind of group he has in there, he always asks them the same question Where's the hook? Where's the hook? What's the thing in this song that's going to catch the ear and have the the listener come back for more? Now, I'm glad to tell you that that the Psalms are very different from modern pop music, but in, in at least one way, they're very similar. In Psalm 121, there is a hook, there's a refrain, there's a chorus. And it's a word that's repeated six times in the last six verses. It's what's translated in your bulletin translation as um, keep. The Lord will keep you, or the Lord is your keeper. If you want to feel fancy, it's the Hebrew word shamar. And it's usually translated keeper guard in the sense of a gardener. So Adam was put in the garden to keep the Garden of Eden. It's in the sense of keeping laws. And it's also in the sense of watching or keeping like a shepherd. Um, It's the the word shamar. And it's repeated six times in these final six verses. Now, it's, it's not a word that is unique to this psalm. It's actually a word that's used out throughout the Old Testament. It's actually central to the Old Testament's presentation of who God is. He is our keeper. He is our shepherd. He is our guardian, our watcher. It's so central that when God was giving to Moses the instructions for the the priests at the end of Israelite worship, it always ended with the same words. It's a benediction from number six. And it says this The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. So these are words that I'm about to read that every Israelite would have heard almost more than any other words in their life, and in their worship. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face towards you and give you peace. This is the definition of what it means for God to be our keeper. It's a revelation of God's heart for us. The final word the Israelites were to hear from priests and worship was God's intention for them as they go to bless them and to keep them. So it's no mistake that in Psalm 121, for pilgrims that are going to Jerusalem to worship, that their traveling song on the front end matches the benediction, the blessing that they'll receive at the end of their time. And that's why it uses this word six times. So let's look at these six usages. Um, Look again in verse 3. He will not let your foot be moved. Why? Because he who keeps you will not slumber. Verse 4. Behold, he who keeps, Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. So not only will he who keeps you not need to nap on his watch, but your guardian will not need to sleep. He doesn't need rest like we do. Verse 5, the very center of the psalm, it says, the Lord is your keeper. Or the Lord is your guardian, your shepherd, your watcher. Verse 5 continues, the Lord is your keeper, the Lord is your shade at your right hand. Now I mentioned earlier that for the pilgrim to focus on the mountains was to look too uh, not to look far enough, because to, to to rest one's eyes on the danger of the hills was not to see the God that was behind the hills, to see the God who is the creator. And that's true. But in another sense, to rest our eyes on the danger is to look too far away because it fails to see God as closer. God is more present than the threats that we face. He is our shade at our right hand. And because of this, verse 6, the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. There is no time in your life outside of His power and His intention for you. Look again at verse 7. It heightens the claim. The Lord will keep you from all evil. The Lord will keep your life. And finally in verse 8, He will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forward and forevermore. There's a comprehensiveness to this list. The Lord will be your guardian. The Lord will be your keeper in all instances, wherever your foot lands, whether by day or by night in the scorching sun or the darkness of night from all evil, whether you're coming or going forever your whole life. This is the hook of of the song that is worth singing. This is the very heart of God to bless you and keep you, to be your keeper. The Lord is your guardian, not just in some things or at some times, but in all things and at all times. He who is powerful will use that power not only for His glory, but for your good. The Lord, the transcendent maker of heaven and earth, is present. With you. This is a song worth singing, brothers and sisters. This is a hook worth getting stuck in our head. This is God's clear intention for you, no matter where your path, where the path of your journey may take you. This is His intent. He will be your keeper. Now, our time is different. Our time is different. Maybe you're thinking, okay, this is a fine and beautiful piece of ancient Israelite poetry but I'm not going to Jerusalem. I don't travel on dangerous mountain trails except for on purpose, and I can get stuff at REI to help me with that. And if I want to avoid the scorching sun, I just flee to the air conditioning. But it's no mistake that the New Testament takes this concept of journey and runs with it as a central image of the Christian life. Because we who have placed our faith in Christ, we've been set on a path that leads to Him. Our destination's not Jerusalem. It's not one of the three pilgrimage feasts in Jerusalem. Our destination is the culminating banquet of the Lamb. The New Testament pictures where all of this is going as a feast, as a festival that all these festivals of the past pointed to. Our destination is not Jerusalem and the the Feast of Pentecost. Our destination is the banquet of the Lamb where we will celebrate with Christ at the culmination of all His redemptive work and where we will be made new and even the presence of sin will be cast from us. And it's a feast of celebration. We've been set on this path. And like the pilgrims who would have sang Psalm 121 en route to Jerusalem... We need this song. We need this reminder because the dangers that we face are very real. We might lift our eyes to the menacing hills of our sin. We might see and hear the threatening and often true accusations of Satan. We might sense the deep-seated insecurities and doubts in our own hearts. But hear the call of Psalm 121 and lift your eyes. Where does your help come from? The maker of heaven and earth. And lift your voice to sing the song that's worth singing. This all-powerful God is your keeper and he will not fail at his duty. And if we have doubts about this, it is proven definitively in Christ Jesus. That's the level of commitment that God has made to be our keeper that He sent His only begotten Son to experience the punishment for our sins, to take on our sin, to give us His righteousness, to to undergo the wrath of God on the cross and to face death to the point that our, the Apostles' Creed says he descended into hell. He experienced the fullness of the wrath of God so that the wrath of God against your sin, if you've placed your sin in Christ Jesus, is literally extinguished and there is no more punishment awaiting you. There is only grace upon grace upon grace. This is the level of commitment that God has made to be your keeper that He would do this to rescue you not just from some hills outside of Jerusalem but from the mountains of sin and the power of Satan that, that roared against you. And we've been, He's been raised to new life and He's overcome the power of death and He gives us eternal life. Our dangers are real but our keeper is... Realer. <laughs> that's not don't use that word. Don't quote that. Don't tweet that. That's not I didn't even write that down. I shouldn't have said it. No, but the, the the dangers are present, but our Redeemer is more present by his Holy Spirit. So lift your eyes to him and claim the promises he's made. None, none without exception can snatch you from his hand. He will lose none of his lambs. Zero. He will be with you always. He's been given all authority, and with that authority, what has He done? He's declared you to be a child of God. He's ascended into heaven, but He has not left us as orphans, but He has given us the Holy Spirit, the empowering presence of God in us and with us every step of the way. The Lord is your keeper. So we have our North Star the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, the place we can put our eyes on our journey. And we have our song to sing, one that's full of hope and promise, one that's worth singing. The Lord is our keeper. But it's not only a song worth singing. It's as my third point stakes. it's a song that's worth singing together. A song that's worth singing together. Now, pilgrims journeying to Jerusalem, they didn't travel alone. They didn't travel alone. And they didn't sing this psalm alone either. They didn't sing it just to themselves or reflect on it as a nice devotional. They sang it together. We can actually see this in the structure of the psalm. Look at verses 1 and 2. The reference is a question and it's in the first person. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? In the rest of the psalm, verses 3 through 8, the reference shifts to the second person. Your help comes from the Lord. It's a call and response. It's meant to be saying back and forth to one another. You know, some scholars think that it was supposed to be between one of the people journeying and the priest that was in Jerusalem. So it it was kind of a play action. And they would say, oh, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And the priest goes, you're right. The Lord is your keeper. And he goes on. And that very well may be true. But I think that there's something beautiful Something incredibly profound about the thought of ordinary Israelites traveling together on this dangerous road singing these words to each other. I picture a father leaning down to whisper in his daughter's ear, the Lord is your keeper. A wife singing to her tired husband, the Lord will keep you from all evil. A man encouraging his worried and doubtful friend The one who keeps you will not slumber. In the same way, this journey of the Christian life that we're on is not one that we're meant to take alone. We're in this together. With our eyes fixed upon our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, singing this pilgrim song of confidence along the way. So... When you don't have the strength of faith to sing, you sing for them. When you're tempted to take your eyes off of Christ and look to other helps, you say no, no. Your help doesn't come from money, doesn't come from politics, doesn't come from security or what neighborhood you live in. Your help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And while we sing this song to each other and with each other, we discern the voice of Jesus singing in our midst. In the book of Hebrews, in the chapter 2, actually pictures Jesus as our worship leader, declaring the great praises of God in our midst, not from a distance, in our midst, here with us. So if you're here today and you're beaten down by life, I invite you to lift your eyes and to open your ears. See the great love of God demonstrated in Jesus Christ and hear the hopeful song of the redeemed because if you've placed your faith in Christ, it's your song as well. If you're here today and things are okay, things are going well, I invite you to open your mouth and to sing loudly. Your brother and your sister needs you to. And if you're here today and you've never placed your faith in Christ, I ask you, where does your help come from? The trials of life will overwhelm you. And you need a helper. You need a keeper. You need a guardian. Psalm 121 points us to Jesus who is calling you today, right now, to abandon the false hopes that you've placed your, your faith in and to place your faith in Him and Him alone. I conclude with some words from the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews was written to a group of Christians in the first century from a Jewish background and they were thinking about giving up on this whole Jesus thing. Things had gotten difficult. They had been kicked out of the synagogues. They had lost their connections with families and friends. They had lost a lot um, just socially and they were wondering if it was worth continuing on. And the writer of the book of Hebrews actually paints the Christian life as a journey. And he says these words. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. So if you're here this morning and you're racked with doubt, look to Christ. If you're here this morning and you are weighed down by your sin, look to Christ. If you're here this morning and you are broken by the ways that you've sinned or the ways you've been sinned against, look to Christ. If you're here this morning and you're terrified of the future, look to Christ. Because He is your Keeper. And see revealed in Jesus the heart of God for you, that He will keep you forever. Let's pray. Father, in your kindness, you have given us your Son and your grace. You have reached down to the depths of where we are, but we know that your love for us is deeper and older than our sin that Your grace is stronger and more powerful than any force that we could throw at it, and that Your intentions for us in Christ Jesus are clear to keep us, to love us, not just in the here and now, but for all eternity. So we pray, God, that these truths, that You are leading us in this journey, that You are with us in this journey, would sink down into our hearts, and Lord, that You would encourage us and that You would transform our hearts